Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible. I'm Evan. And I'm Aaron. And this is a podcast where we read through the Bible together every year and talk about what we learned along the way. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and look up the Grove Church in Marysville, Washington. You can find our plan there. We also have the plan available on our website, grove.church. And if you're jumping in for the first time today, we are on day 183. We are officially halfway through the year. Officially halfway through the year, which is crazy to think about. Uh, So... Uh, if you're listening and you're joining along with us and there's questions that come up, we just want to invite you to send us those questions because uh, we do enjoy week over week as much as we can answering those questions. Uh, there's three ways to send them. One is an email. We go old school with that method. Uh, the email address is info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line a podcast question uh, or you can direct message us on the social media. We have a Facebook page and an Instagram handle, if you will. Uh, And we are the Grove Church in Washington State, as Evan has already said. Our handle on both of those, if you were to type in facebook.com forward slash the Grove CH, or you could find us as the Grove CH on Instagram as well. So we'd love for you to send us those questions. For sure. Well, listeners, we are jumping into, uh, it's going to be Proverbs. It's wisdom literature. Yep. It's going to be Psalms. Uh, but really quick, exciting life news uh, for for me, Drummel. I suppose. But it, it it is finally here. The, the let's go the uh, the book that we have been referencing as not existing exists now. It yes. is published on Amazon, uh, and so if you would like to check out uh, my book on Job, it is called Suffering and Silence, and then the subtitle, which you probably need to enter into the search because. It's hard to find a little bit, but it's uh, so it's suffering it's and silence. It's so new. I know, yeah. Uh, Job struggle, God's voice, and our response is what's called. You can get it in ebook, paperback, or hardcover. So whatever wow. whatever strikes your fancy, it is there for the taking. So I'll plug it a little bit more uh, in the coming episodes, just to let you. Here's know. the deal: if Evan wasn't going to plug it today, I was absolutely going to plug it and shout it from the rooftop. So if you've been listening with us and part of our community for a long time now, you know. Uh, the work that he has put in for this book uh, and the study of Job. And we've benefited from so a lot of his work and study. Uh, and so I think it's absolutely worth your time to jump out on Amazon even today and purchase it in whatever format you want. Um, if you get a hardback book and you're in the area, Evan will even sign it for you. So I volunteered, volunteered him to do that. Oh, yeah, uh, but you're welcome to it. We will, I would love for you to to jump in and do that for him specifically. But it's going to be a lot of fun to read it. If you'd really like a signature, I'll sign a paperback. I'll, I won't. No, sign, just a hardback. I won't sign a Kindle just because that seems impossible. But uh, well, you could sign a Kindle. I guess it just would be over thing. every <laughs> everything. There you go. Anyway, yeah, no, it would just mean a lot to me if if, uh, if you wanted to look into uh, more of Job. Uh, I'd love for you to check that out. And if you liked our episodes on Job in the past, it's basically that, just more in depth. So there you go. Uh, but let's get to our uh, the, the Bible study that we're actually doing this week. So we're going to finish up the Book of Proverbs, and then we're going to, I believe. Aaron, between this week and next week, we actually are finishing up Psalms. I think so too. I was actually wondering that as I was reading through it this week, Uh, but I do think we're about done with Psalms in the next 14 days. At the very least, we're done with the massive like shotgun, here's a ton of Psalms. There might be like a sneaky one that I'm not remembering. Well, here's the deal. Did you look ahead? I haven't looked super ahead. So you don't really know. (laughs) No, I don't. I need to like... (laughs) I'm going to laugh if like three weeks from now, there's another gauntlet of Psalms. Anyways, but I don't think there is. I think... Hezekiah, Korah, and Asaph are like the last authors of Psalms that that we're covering. And I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, it'll be... Yeah. Anyway, listeners, it's, it's, there's a lot. I, I keep thinking there can't be more Psalms because I'm just not checking them off the box, but there's there's always more. Psalms is the longest book of the Bible and the, has the most chapters. There's 150 of those bad yep. boys. So anyway, but enough of the Psalms. 
for now. Uh, we're going to talk about Proverbs for a little bit. Uh, and so we are going to be whisked away. We're still in the reign of Hezekiah, uh, but in chapter 25 of Proverbs, we get a long section of Proverbs that are still written by Solomon. However, we're told that these are, these are collected by Hezekiah's men. And so remember, Hezekiah is one of the great kings, spoilers for the tears. Wait, what? Of Judah. You said we're not supposed to rank kings till they die. I know. And you just ranked them. He's not officially ranked. I'm just telling you listeners, this is for sure where Hezekiah is going to end up. Uh, But he, yeah, he he takes over at a time when Judah is at its its low point so far. There's going to be a lower point that comes after Hezekiah, unfortunately. Um, But he institutes a bunch of religious reforms and he really leads the people in proper worship of Yahweh. And we see here that part of that is making sure to preserve scripture, which is really cool. Uh, and so Hezek- on, on, on Hezekiah's orders, his men collect some of the Proverbs of Solomon and they make sure that those are added into uh, into the book of Proverbs. So good deal. Uh, and I just want to do, again, like, like we talked about with most of Proverbs, this section is like the bulk of Proverbs where it's not contextually related necessarily. So um, instead of just kind of going through every single proverb and being here for five hours, I just kind of pick some that pick some of them that stood out to me in these few chapters. Uh, and so here's a few. Proverbs 25, 5 says, take away the wicked from the presence of the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. Um, I picked this one because I can't help but wonder if Hezekiah has this in mind. Like as he's, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a few pieces of advice in this section that are specifically about how to be a good king. Um, and so I, 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 I can't imagine that Hezekiah had a bunch of really bad advisors and he rose above. Like I'm guessing he knows how to surround himself with godly advisors uh, and he took the wicked away from the presence of the king. Uh, verse 13 of chapter 25. This one I just thought was really interesting because it, it just reads odd to modern ears. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Um, and I remember thinking like, wouldn't that be bad for a harvest? Like, why is the cold of snow like a good thing? So I I looked into it a little bit more and basically it's talking about not actual snow. It's just being cold enough to snow. So it's referring to it being that that cold like that. Um, But they're saying that one of the dangers of farming in this area of the world is if you have too much of a heat wave, it just kills all the crops. And so when you'd have a cold front that came in, it would actually refresh everything. And it means that your harvest is going to be plentiful. So I thought that was cool. And so one thing that, um, yeah, over over here, I don't know. Like, if you're if you are a farmer, you would probably read that and be like, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense." But like to to me, who is not who who gets all my food from the grocery store, all my Tri Cities people, yeah, shout out to uh, <laughs> I never really to the good old Tri. I used to live in which a farming, is a desert. I used to live in a farming community, and now it's the same community. It's just now when you drive there, it's all uh, industrial. Mo- yeah, it's crazy. All right. Well, Proverbs 25, 14 is like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. Oh, snap. Just the idea of- uh, Shots fired. Just you're there and you're taking up space, but you're not really doing anything productive. Talk uh, is cheap. Twenty five twenty says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes a garment off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. <laughs> Uh, and so basically the, the whole idea here is like, hey, if someone's like just really down in the dumps and you're like just <laughs> basically like um, there's a there's a way to treat people who are grieving and mm-hmm. it's not to be like, hey, stop being sad. The joy of the Lord. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the vinegar and soda thing I didn't understand, but apparently when you mix them, it takes out the properties of both. So it just, it makes them both pointless, which I, I didn't know that. So there you go. Uh, and then the one the one who like takes a garment off on a cold day, that makes sense. It's just yeah. like, don't do that. That's uncomfortable. But also what, what happens when vinegar and soda are mixed? 
Oh, I don't know. It foams. It, blo- it like oh, whenever it? like the old volcano. Did you never do this in high school? Never did volcanoes in, in school. Like no. the fizz, then the the foam coming out of the volcano. You put vinegar and baking soda of together. The stair- That's what creates. And so it 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 overwhelms. Like it's it's. Uh, I don't even know the right word to say. Um, but that like the visual imagery of taking off a cold in the cold day makes sense. But pouring vinegar on soda is it it blows everything up. <laughs> So the, the only stereotypical you've never done that. No, the only stereotypical science thing I did in school was dissecting a frog. But I don't think the I don't even know if I've dissected a frog. Really? I, I did a worm. We did a ton of dissections. It was pretty fun. I feel but like you've never done a volcano. No, you know your education sucks. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this one I just thought was funny. At Proverbs twenty five twenty four. It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Um, I feel like you could swap wife or spouse there in general. But basically, like, hey, yeah, if you're going home. Um, and your spouse is just like immediately picking fights. It's probably, but just, just go to the roof, just hang out, you know, <laughs> just go to the roof, just, just leave and hop up top. Uh, and it's a reminder for all of us who are spouses to like, Hey, don't be quarrelsome, yep. you know, M- make, make a house of peace. I don't know what that would be like to live in a house like that. So, <laughs> well, you have kids. Thanks, uh, I said, I don't know what it is like. So. Oh, gotcha. Thank gotcha. you, Cassie. I, I'm picking up what you're putting down now. Uh, Proverbs 26.3. So I, I just love this. It's a whip for a, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. So basically just like you whip a horse and you bridle a donkey to get him into shape. You, you got to Sometimes you just got to smack a fool around a little bit. Uh, <laughs> that's not actual advice. Pity the fool. That's not actual advice for assault today, listeners, just so, just so you're aware. Uh, Prover- but I haven't said. Proverbs 26.12. Do you see? a man who is wise in his own eyes, there is more hope for a fool than him. Um, which if you've read how Solomon talks about fools in Proverbs, that's a big statement. So, yep. ba- And I, I love it's kind of a, this is pre-Socratic Socrates a little bit. Um, Socrates famously says, the only thing that I know is that I know nothing. And so we see here that like, no, that wisdom is from God. <laughs> like it's the idea of uh, do not be wise in your own eyes. Uh, Proverbs 26, 14 says, I, I also just love this word picture as a door turns on its hinges. So does a sluggard on his bed. <laughs> and so basically it's saying he just gets out of bed and then immediately <laughs> returns and goes back. It's like a door on the hinge. Yeah, he's lazy. Yep. Not actually going anywhere. It's just going to pivot a little bit and then go right back to his only movement is to flip to the other side of the bed. There you go. Uh, Proverbs, and, and you know, don't be a sluggard. That's one of the big advices of Proverbs. It's funny. I would even read that as not even getting out of bed. But rotating Just over. switching over. It could be. It could be. Uh, Proverbs 27, 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. So basically, you know, hey, don't build yourself up. Let other people do that for you. Uh, Proverbs 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. <laughs> so ba- basically the picture here is just like going over to your neighbor while he's still asleep and just be like, you're awesome. You're my favorite friend. And like you know, in that moment, he's saying nice things. Doesn't matter. And the, the point here is that uh, tact is important. Even if you're saying the right things, it can be... Uh, it can be perceived the wrong way if yep. you if you don't know how to go Please about doing it. Please be aware, people. Be aware. <laughs> yeah, a little social awareness, and that's to me too, because I'm I'm one of the least socially aware people that I know. So not huh? not great. What really? <laughs> yeah. This is a famous one, but it's great. Uh, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So basically, just the idea of your friendships, your relationships, uh, should be one of mutually sharpening, making each other better people. Uh, Proverbs 28.2, when a land transgresses, it has many rulers, but with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. 
Um, I couldn't help but think of Israel, where they just have a bajillion kings from different <laughs> dynasties. Yeah. And, you know, the the southern king of Judah, they're not perfect, but they do a good job for like a good chunk of the time. And so they have pretty stable leadership. Whereas Israel, there's that one where it's like, well, they have three kings in the span of like, is it two years or something like that? I think even less they than just, that. Yeah, they just go. They go like a seven day one. Up, but anyways. Yeah, they go, they go, they go nuts. Uh, Proverbs 28, 6, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. It's pretty self-explanatory, but it's a good reminder for us today. Yep. Uh, Proverbs 29, 1, he who is often reproved yet stick, stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. I love the word picture there of yep. just basically, hey, you're getting warned and you just keep getting more tense and more tense. Like, And the, the idea is you're not listening to people who are uh, a godly reproof is basically someone saying, hey, I'm noticing this in your life. Hey, this is a shortcoming. You should work on that. And if instead of accepting it and saying, you know what, you're right, you just immediately get defensive and reject it. The picture is eventually your neck's going to be broken and there's nothing that can be done about it. So um, really powerful metaphor there, I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the final one that just kind of stood out to me, and this one, because I think it just gets misquoted all the time. So it's Proverbs 29, 18, uh, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Um, and so sometimes this gets quoted as where there's no, where there's no vision, the people perish, which I can't, I think the NIV translates it that way. Um, which is not an incorrect. Yeah, there's tran- a couple of translations out of that yeah. way, but. This is not an incorrect translation. That is the literal word is, is vision. Um, but the, the. The context of the word is biblical vision, the prophetic mm-hmm. vision, or in other words, it's it's not saying like where there's no vision, the people perish. Therefore, this is my five year plan for where you know. It, it, no, it's saying that if, if we're not following God, if you don't have um, prophetic vision for the nation, the people will um, the people cast off restraint. They just go nuts and the, and they perish. Yeah. Um, but blessed is he who keeps the law, or in other words, that is the prophetic vision is the law of God that He has given to us is holding to Scripture. So. Um, that it's it's similar to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven where it's a it's a really good verse for what it's saying, but sometimes it gets twisted to mean something slightly different than what it's actually supposed to mean. Uh, we're not done with Proverbs, but we are done. Those are the last of the Proverbs of Solomon that we'll go over. Hezekiah. We have two more. Well, Hezekiah gathers them, but, but I don't think Hezekiah's. I don't think he wrote. He them. gets the credit. He gets the credit for. It. I mean, we get them. We have them because <laughs> of Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Okay. It's like how Christopher Tolkien gets credit for the Silmarillion. You know, we have it because of him. But I don't even know what you're talking about. It's because J.R.R. Tolkien wrote it, but his son is the one who actually like compiled it and published it. I don't even know died. what you're it's, talking about. It's a great book. All right, so the Proverbs of Augur is uh, chapter thirty or Azure. I don't know. Uh, so it's A-G-U-R. Uh, chapter 30 shifts both authors and genres. Uh, so we're introduced to the words of Augur. Uh, his words are much more connected. So think like the first, remember the first few chapters of Proverbs where the big theme is about don't commit adultery. And it's kind of all of the Proverbs are about that for a few chapters. That's kind of the style of this one where it's not little snippets that are unrelated. Um, it's a continuing flow of poetic advice. Uh, it opens up with Augur describing how he is weary. And he brings his vexation before Yahweh and reminds himself that God's words are true. Uh, and in, in the back half of the chapter, Augur is seemingly realizing how small he is comparatively, and he's humbly accepting his place. And it ends with this reminder, uh, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. For pressing, produce, for pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. So there you go. Good words from Augur. Uh, and then finally, we have the Proverbs of King Lemuel, which it would it actually is more accurately described as 
the the proverbs of King Lemuel's mother because that's what it is. It's it's a uh, oracle that his mother taught him, and then he writes it down. Uh, he, and he also submits this for wisdom, uh, and this is where we get the famous, probably the most famous chapter of Proverbs, which is the Proverbs thirty one woman. Like if you've ever um, heard of that, this is where we get that from. Uh, and it's funny because I actually think the context is when you actually realize who wrote it. It because so, I feel like sometimes it comes across as like this is a guy describing <laughs> this is this is what I want in, in my wife. Uh, but no, it's it's a it's a mother telling her son, this is what to look for in the woman that you marry one day. Um, so I do think that actually reframes it in a really beautiful way. Um, but a couple highlights from these that I thought were great. Um, it starts the the advice for actually finding a wife starts off with an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. Uh, as husbands, me and Eric can both say that that is absolutely true. Uh, Proverbs thirty one sixteen. She considers a field and buys it with the fruits of her hands. She plants a vineyard. Uh, in verse twenty, it says she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. In verse twenty six, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Her tongue. And then in verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Um, and I also love because the, what is the picture of the virtuous woman that uh, that King Lemuel is supposed to look for as a wife? It's not just that she like sits around and, and does nothing. It's talking about how she's like going and buying property and she's figuring out ways uh, to give to the poor and that she has uh, wisdom on her on her own and that she's contributing that as well. So it's, it's a really cool picture of... Um, feminine strength in in Proverbs 31. And I think it's a really beautiful picture for um, as husbands to be thankful for our wives. And then for uh, for men who are not married, it kind of gives you an idea of like, hey, here's things to look for. And then for women who are unmarried, it kind of, or women in general, I guess, it just gives a good, um, it's kind of like, it's almost like reminds me of like Boaz, where like, I think he's such a great masculine role model of like almost anyone I'd be like, yeah, just be like Boaz. Like Boaz is a great model for a man. I think the Proverbs 31 is a, is a great feminine model of, of, um, of godly womanhood. All right. Well now we're going to jump over to Psalms and we're going to hit, we're going to hit a bunch. We're starting the Psalms extravaganza now. Yeah. That's what we're doing. We're starting it now. Starting. We got done with Proverbs, I guess round two. Psalms extravaganza round two. I think we're going to have, I think the title of next week will be Psalms part four. So we're going to have four episodes where they're almost entirely Psalms. This one, at least we have like a third of it is Proverbs, but yeah. oh man. All right. So Psalm 42 is one of the Psalms of Korah, which is going to be a theme today. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of this, uh, the sons of Korah, I should say. Uh, and as a reminder, Korah, if you're thinking to yourself, isn't Korah the guy who got swallowed up by the earth in numbers? Why is he writing Psalms? Um, the sons of Korah refers to that tribe, right? And so it's one of the specific Levite tribes. So it's not Korah or even his specific sons in the sense of like his actual first generation sons to him, but his descendants who were priests writing these. So pretty cool. Um, Psalm 42 is one of my favorite Psalms because it just shows a realistic picture of the deep depression that followers of, G of, God, of God and Jesus can go through. I shouldn't say God and Jesus, but you know what I mean? Like pre-Christ and, and uh, um, pre-death and resurrection of Christ and post-death and resurrection of Christ, old covenant and new covenant believers. What we, the, it's just because we follow the Lord, just because we have the Holy Spirit does not mean that we're immune to just bouts of, dar of darkness. It happens. Um, but it also shows that we have hope in remembering our relationship with God, that we have a hope that others do not have. Yeah. Uh, and so it starts off with this, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul 
Uh, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember. As I pour out my soul, how would I go? How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation. Uh, and that line gets used again. So there's another refrain. At, I'm not going to read the whole Psalm, but there's another one that ends with, why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. And then when we go to Psalm 43, it's interesting because it's not attributed to anyone. And it kind of just slides in as like another section to Psalm 42. Not that it's supposed to be, but it, mm-hmm. it very much could be. Um, in Psalm 43, the author is asking for God's deliverance in order to return to the temple. And then at the end of the psalm, it uses that exact same refrain, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, I shall again praise him, my salvation. So pretty cool how that, that connects. Uh, psalm 44 is kind of a confusing one. Um, 100%. Yeah. It begins by extolling the glory of God and recounting how God has delivered the people time and time again. However, after the Selah, in which remember those are kind of like the stop and pause moments, uh, the psalmist shifts to asking God why he has forsaken them, even though they can't think of why this would have happened. So unlike a bunch of other places in scripture the, where the punishment of God is due to the wickedness of the people, um, the psalmist doesn't understand what's happening. Like usually when you see this, it's repentance is, is what needs to follow or the people kind of acknowledge their sin here. It's like, God, we've been, we've been doing awesome. What is going on right now? Um, And we don't really, we don't really have a good date to place this. So we don't really understand what's going on. Um, I, I, I wondered as I was reading it, I wonder if this was written during a time where Judah had repented, but the judgment of Yahweh was still coming. So remember there, I guess spoilers for in, in a few weeks. Um, there's going to be a king who is so bad in Judah that God is like, okay, no matter what happens, Judah's done now. It's it's over. Um, but right after that, we get the reign of Josiah, who is another one of just the great kings of Judah. He leads the people well in worship of Yahweh, um, but it's too late. God is not going to relent from the disaster uh, that, that he has planned for them. He's just not going to do it during the reign of Josiah. Um, and so I wondered if maybe this is written in that period where um, the people have repented, they've turned to God, and and yet tragedy befalls Josiah. Spoilers, he he dies early in his reign. Um, Again, this is just complete conjecture. I was just thinking of a time where this would have fit, and and that's kind of the one that sticks out to me. Um, Or it could just be a time that we're not necessarily told about in the Bible, where there's just affliction happening and the people are still have their relationship with God. Or Maybe this is the case of one of the psalmists not really understanding the relationship with God um, that the people have, and maybe they think that it's better than it actually is. That one seems a little bit less likely to me, but either way, it's kind of an interesting psalm. Uh, I also put that, interestingly, the name of God is not used in this psalm, only titles. So we don't see the Yahweh or Lord in all caps. Uh, Psalm 45 praises the king of Judah. Uh, and let me tell you, listeners, this, this this is all about how awesome the king is. And uh, I, I mean, it's just like, I don't know how you'd even describe it. Just like, it's it's, it's the psalmist fanboying over the king. Uh, <laughs> and, so and, and if you think that's an exaggeration, uh, 
Let's read. So he goes, you are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach your awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the hearts of the king's enemies. The people fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of, up, of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes. And Cassia, from ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. And at your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Um, so at the very least, we do see that the psalmist recognizes that God has anointed the king for this thing. So it's not like the psalmist is saying, you're even better than God. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Uh, but he's definitely, you know, the psalmist is definitely like, boy, I love the king. <laughs> the king is the best. The king is my favorite. And so I don't know why I gave him that voice, but it's just kind of funny to me. But it does it does go to show like the um, the picture that the Israelites have of a good, righteous king and what that is supposed to be and how it's supposed to point their affections to God. And this is a good thing that it, that that the king can do, where you see a king acting righteously and justly, and it makes you think of the even better king, the king mm-hmm. above all kings. Um, and it also makes it sad when you think back to, or not think back to, when we get to the period where after Jerusalem has fallen and the people of Israel return, um, there's no king anymore uh, for a long time. And there's kings that suck. And so uh, <laughs> who are appointed by Rome. Um, but it, it's kind of, you can imagine the the pain of thinking back to this picture of the good and righteous king during that period. Uh, Psalm 46 returns us to a very familiar theme of Psalms, and that is that God is our strength and our fortress. This is also the Psalm uh, that this famous verse is from. So it says, be still and know that I am God. I will will be exalted among the nations. I will exalt in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So basically just have confidence in who God is. Uh, Psalm 47 is both straightforward and beautiful. Uh, It praises God for his glory and his majesty and declares that he rules over all the earth. Like I said, really easy. It's just kind of straightforward, but it's great. It's good. Uh, Psalm 48 rejoices in God's protection of Jerusalem specifically, so the city of Jerusalem. Uh, And it recounts the times where Yahweh has protected his holy city from invasion. And you can see, uh, I put like, you can see how... Eventually, when we get to the time where Jerusalem falls, there is this idea that, well, no, this is God's city. He's never going to let anything happen to it. Um, And you can see how people get that or or arrive at that conclusion with Psalms like this, where it's just like praising God for his defense of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, unfortunately that it's not, it's not unconditional (laughs) is is the bummer. Uh, Psalm 49 I put, you could kind of just slap this into Ecclesiastes and no one would notice. Uh, But the psalmist begins uh, by reminding the people not to fear because they serve God. And then in the back half of the psalm, it shows what God perceives. So kind of the the reasons for serving God is because of his wisdom. Uh, And this is how God, what God perceives in man. And it ends with this. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away, for his glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise what 
when you do well for yourself. His soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never see again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. So again, like it just kind of reminds me of that, that idea of Ecclesiastes of death is the great equi- equalizer between uh, between the rich and the poor. Uh, no matter how much you have or how little you have, we're both marching towards the inevitability of our death. Yep. That's a cheerful reminder. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Uh, Psalm 84 rejoices in the joy of dwelling with God in the temple. Uh, this verse stood out to me because it aligns with one that comes later. So this one says, and this is in Psalm, it says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And as soon as I read that, I couldn't help but think of Matthew. I didn't know that. I, I don't want it to seem like I knew the chapter and verse right off the top of my head, but I thought of the verse of uh, Matthew six twenty six. look at the birds. And this is Jesus talking. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So it's kind of, yeah, I, I was like how it's a thematic connection there, but between yep. the Old and the New Testament. Uh, Psalm 85 calls out for God's deliverance, uh, and it brings up God's history of forgiveness for his people, even in the midst of their iniquity, even in, after they have sinned. Uh, Psalm 87, this is the last one for my section. So I'm just going to read the whole bad boy. It's only seven verses, but it says, On the holy mountain stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwelling place of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God, Selah. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Cush. This one was there, born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one is... And that one were born in her for the most high himself will establish her. The Lord records as, and he, as he registers the peoples, this one was born there, Selah. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. So basically, again, it just kind of gets at the idea of Jerusalem celebrating uh, God's city or the capital of Judah um, and, and the glory that is there because God has chosen Zion. God has chosen Jerusalem to defend. Um, and again, it's, sad to read in the context of knowing what happens at uh, the end of Kings. And even at the end of, uh, we don't get it in the Bible, but what happens after Revelation is completed. So, or maybe it's before Revelation is completed, but eighty seventy, not not a, not a good time. All right. Well, that wraps it up for my section this week. Before we get over to Aaron, who's going to take us through even more Psalms, woo-hoo, I do want to take a moment to remind you like, hey, if you haven't left a five-star review yet on the podcast platform that you're listening on, if you could do that, that would be super helpful, particularly on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Those are kind of the two uh, that help get us out there the most. And if you leave a written review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it on the air just because, you know, it's the kind of guys that we are. We like to give our listeners a shout out. Uh, but Aaron... Start off with, uh, what psalm are we reading? We're starting at the very beginning. We're going back to the beginning, bro. Whoa, a very good place uh, to start. And this is the, yeah, this is the the crazy thing too is, is because I was even thinking about like Psalm 1 and, and I'll say like, it serves as a gateway to the entire book of Psalms. And it just reminds us within the canon, when the canon was established, it um, it wasn't chronological in how they placed it. It was thematic. And as they compiled all of the 150 psalms that they they had found in the, in the Dead Sea Scrolls and all those different things, that this psalm came as kind of an overview of what to review and what to see in the Psalms. Now, why are we reading it now, this far in, halfway through the year? Um, because again, chronologically, 
this would be about the time it was written towards the end of Ezekiah's life because he's not dead yet, so we can't rake him, um, even though Evan kind of already cheated and did that. Um, Come on, and wasn't just... it like a couple episodes ago you like kind of like got on me a bit for I'm, I'm just saying, putting you know, names of kings in a list before here's the deal. they die? I feel like, I feel like, so... there's, I feel like there's, there's kings that the <laughs> listeners are going to be like, oh, I wonder where they're going to rank them. But the three great kings of Judah, I don't think anyone's confused about where they're going. And then there's a few of the bad kings where... You know, it's Manasseh, okay? I, I will agree to disagree. Manasseh's so, the worst. I will agree to disagree. So I believe everybody sits on pins and needles waiting for us to rank these kids. I'm just kidding. Uh, Psalms 1, yes, as I said, it serves as a gateway to the entire book. Um, you'll notice as you read it that it stresses that those who worship God genuinely must embrace his law. Uh, it takes on topics found in the wisdom literature. It makes them uh, and makes them a subject of song, which is what the Psalms typically are, is they're songs that were sung by the community or the people of Israel. Um, whoever would sing this Psalm specifically uh, would also have alignment with its values, uh, meaning they want to be more and more people who love his law, uh, who believe in it and who see themselves as heirs uh, and also stewards of its story of redemption and hope, and will do everything they can to carry out its requirements, its morality. Uh, and it's a big deal. And so it's not just, and I would even say like, even as we are continuing to read through Psalms and wrapping up what I think would be the book in the next couple of weeks, it is a reminder that as we read these Psalms, that there should be a, a kind of a resonating reality in each of our lives in the sense of, I want to be part of the God's covenant people. Uh, I want to uphold the standards. I want to uphold the the awareness of, and I want to uphold the connection to God himself. Uh, so as we jump into this section, I thought it'd be fitting to read the Psalm that is kind of the gateway to the entire book of Psalms, even though we're so close to wrapping it up. But it says this in Psalms 1, 1 through 6. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Um, most translations, I think, actually translate this blessed, how blessed is the one, or it starts off with blessed is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Um, and the idea there is blessed is can be translated to happy. And so it talks about this, this source of happiness. It talks about not this pursuit of happiness, but when we find ourselves faithful and committed to God's ways, there is a certain level of blessedness. There is a certain level of joy and happiness that we cling to, that the li our life becomes more fulfilled. Um, so whenever you see this word blessed, it has the illusions most of the time to uh, correlate to this word happy. So that's why it's the CSB translates it that way. It says verse two, it said, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. Uh, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Uh, and a picture here, if you don't, if we haven't talked about this before, is in that um, when they would separate the heads of the wheat, they would pull the wheat head kernels off of the wheat stalk, and they would crush. And this is not crush it, but kind of uh, pound it to break open. The chaff was like the outer shell. So if you think of a peanut, I think it's the easiest way to do it. You've got the shell that it's open, but then you've also got like that outer skin. Uh, the the seed uh, that they are using in the wheat grain uh, is heavier than the chaff, which is the outer shell. And so when the, they would do it in a place where it would be a little breezy, so the wind would come and separate the chaff from the wheat itself. That's the picture here, uh, that the, they are like chaff, the wind blows away, which is the wicked. Therefore, the wicked will not stand. It says this in verse five, up in judgment, nor sinners in the assemblies of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the right the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Uh, and so that's kind of the overview. That's the big picture of what Psalms um, and how we can understand the book of Psalms and we can see that the, the, the provision in the book of Psalms uh, is just this idea of 
um, walking with the wise, sitting among the 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 sitting among those who are wise to learn, to glean, to understand, uh, rather than walking with the wicked or sitting among mockers. Uh, Psalm two recalls because uh, we'll read the second psalm as well. It says recalls this God establishing the Davidic line uh, as the kings of God's people. Uh, they were really meant to fulfill the very purpose with which God called Abraham, which is to be a blessing to the whole earth. Um, so God's promise to Abraham is to be fulfilled by the Davidic line of kings that God establishes over his people. We obviously know this because we're towards the end of the kings uh, of Judah, Israel, who's already fallen. They don't do a very good job uh, to be a blessing to the whole earth. They have moments, but they don't do a great job entirely. Uh, psalm 2 would also remind that whoever sings this psalm uh, would be reminded of the hope that is irrevocably tied to the house of David. Uh, and in turn, they pray that God would keep the king pure in all his ways. So the heart of the psalmist here is to remember God's promise to Abram, which is to be fulfilled and established in the Davidic line. And they understand that their uh, inheritance, so to speak, their hope uh, is anchored to the, the house of David. So they pray for the king to maintain purity. Uh, and we can easily translate this to today. It may not be the Davidic line, but it is the idea of submitting to rulers, understanding God establishes authority. Uh, and so we can understand like our hope is anchored to the fulfillment of Jesus in the Davidic line, but also the, the call, much like the psalmist, that we would be praying for the leaders as well, that they would keep uh, their ways pure before the Lord, that they would lead in justice and in integrity. Uh, and so it's, an, it's kind of an easy psalm to correlate there. Uh, we then read Psalm 10 which is a lament designed for cases uh, in which the wicked, quote unquote, hotly pursue the poor. Um, and it's obviously in this context, it's the king's job to pursue justice. Uh, but I love the weight that it gives to the people. Like the people's job is to pray. Uh, ultimately, uh, justice is the Lord's. He's the one that will serve justice. Uh, and the king is a representation of that. But it's the people's job to pray. And, and I think that's an important distinction to make because I think modern day com- understanding is, Someone else is supposed to do the work. I'm not supposed to do anything about this, or I'm just going to pray about it. But there is a responsibility we carry as God's people. Um, So that's what Psalm 10 talks about. Psalm 33 is a hymn of praise uh, to God who made all things, who rules all things for his own purposes, and who is a chosen people to be his own for the sake of the whole world. Um, It really celebrates God who created everything, who rules everything, um, and he set apart his people uh, for again, and you're going to see this in the Psalms for the sake of the whole world. Like it's not meant to be a isolated community country club vibe, but it is really meant to be. I'm establishing a people. God's intent was to establish a people so that all the world would be blessed. All the world would come to know Christ. All the world would belong to God's family. That was the original intent. Um, and so you'll see that theme throughout the Psalms uh, and obviously much, much, much of scripture um, that we've read so far and will continue to read. We're going to read Psalm 71 as well, which is an individual lament, Um, and really it's suited for one who's in danger from his enemies uh, and who the enemies are seeking to hurt by taking advantage of any weakness or moment of distress. Uh, So you hear the the heart, the cry out to God to act, to show up, to protect and provide. Um, Psalm 91 uh, is this is a psalm that I actually have used often when I've led uh, missions trips during the youth during t- my time as a youth pastor. Um, I love the tenderness of it, the intimacy that exists from the psalmist to God uh, that describes this confidence um, that we have going uh, through all sorts of manners of potential danger and challenges. Uh, and so because I love this psalm, I'm just going to read it. It's 16 verses, uh, but it says this, those who live, and I love the imagery too. I would say as you, as, as you're listening to me, if you're able to, like, I would even just say like, 
focus in on the words for a second and and see the vividness of it, the the, the imagery of it, the power that exists there. Uh, and even as you read it this week, I would say the same thing. I hope that you're able to slow down as you're reading it. Uh, and I hope you're able to slow down and read all the Psalms. But it says this, Psalm 91, starting in verse one, it says, the one who lives under the protection of the most high dwells in the shadow of the almighty. I will say concerning the Lord, who is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He himself will rescue you from the bird trap, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of night, the the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will see you will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord my refuge the most high, your dwelling place, no harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. For you will give for he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with your hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. Because he has his heart set on me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. And I love the shift there where it's God responding. And it's almost as if God's speaking. He says, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with long life and show him my salvation. Uh, so I just love the imagery. I love the power. I love the hope and the confidence, uh, not just in God as our refuge and strength, but also God's own words. Um declaring and speaking favor and protection over those who trust in him. Uh, So it's a great psalm. Psalm 92 is the next one. Uh, It's a hymn of praise and thanks to God where it's going to celebrate the blessing of Sabbath as an institution in Israel. Uh, And I'm going to be honest, (laughs) I can't imagine us today singing or celebrating this as we probably should. Uh, and so I think it's a good reminder of what God intended for us as his people in regards to Sabbath. Uh, but I, I can't imagine us reading this psalm and be like, yay, God, thank you for Sabbath, because I don't think in modern culture we know. Yeah, we also, we, it's, it's, it is a shame that we don't Sabbath well as modern Christians. I think that's one of the things that's kind of, uh, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't apply that blanketly, but in a, in the corner of Christianity that we're in, I think it's one of those things that's very easily overlooked. Yeah, 100%. So. So I love that we get to read Psalm 92, uh, and my hope is that it would remind you, as it did me this week, uh, the challenge and the, the necessity of of celebrating God's provision for us, uh, especially as it comes to, to seasons and rhythms of rest, days of rest, um, as as we need, because we all understand the weariness that exists in the world uh, and the busyness that we have. So. Psalm 93 is the next one we're going to read this week. It's a hymn of praise, celebrating God's kingship uh, and rule over creation. Uh, And we're going to see this recurring theme of celebrating God's uh, kingship and rule over creation uh, over the next handful of Psalms. Um, And they're each going to take on a different aspect and a different component, which I think is really cool. Uh, In Psalm 93 here, we'll see that the idea is that God is a universal king and it's rooted in the creation account. Uh, It's five verses, so I figure it's worth reading. Uh, It says this. That sounds like a weird way to say it. Only the ones that are worth reading are small. No. Um, That's why we only read Psalm 117. On the podcast here specifically, I think it's worth taking some time to work through all of it. Uh, And just like I I was thinking about this earlier today, it's really hard for me to take a section of a psalm and highlight it or read it. I'm doing it at the very end because I kind of forced myself to do it uh, because I like to have the psalm in its entirety. I think there's some some significance in that that pr- practice, so to speak. Um, so I don't really read a lot of psalms uh, in their entirety. And so the, e- the shorter ones are easier to read. And that's what I mean by that. Anyways, Psalm 93, one through five says, the Lord reigns. 
He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed and developed in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. The floods have lifted up, Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. Greater than the roar of a huge torrent, the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. Holiness adorns your house for all the days to come. Uh, and I just love, I mean, if you've ever been to the ocean or even if you've watched the Weather Channel or uh, the different uh, documentary type shows that show that the the power and the sheer ferocity tenacity, fierceness, ferocity, whatever. Um, that's what I was trying to say. It's not a really word. So thank, ferociousness. Thank, thank you, Kathy. Um, she's laughing at me right now. But if you've seen just the, the power and the, the reality of the ocean and the waves and when a flood goes, I've never been in a flood. And, and I know maybe some of you as listeners haven't had to navigate a flood, um, but it's you can't, it's hard to prevent. You can't control it. Like, and so just the pictures of the flood and then God is more powerful. He's more majestic than the huge torrent, a roar of a huge torrent, the mighty breakers of the sea. I think is such a very vivid image uh, that we we get to cling to and understand that God, you are sovereign above everything else, and in creation as well. Um, we re- then read Psalm ninety four, where it's a community lament, um, where it's this time when the wicked exalt themselves and oppress God's people, and they do so without fear of God. Uh, and the psalm is asking God to take action to protect his people. Uh, it it's also should be something that strengthens those who are faithful, those who are pious, um, who are zealous for the Lord, who are righteous in their living. Uh, and it should strengthen them to endure the oppression without losing heart uh, or going over to join the wicked. Um, and the way that it accomplishes this in the psalm is it recounts God's exhaustive, exhaustive knowledge of all the people think, do, and say. It uh, helps them remember his steadfast love for his people. And then it focuses on rejoicing in God's righteous commitment to bring justice by caring for the weak and putting down the wicked. Um, and so you'll see this lament that is meant to be sung in a time of oppression, but also strengthening those who are faithful to the Lord um, by recalling those things. Psalm 95 is a song uh, that will summon God's people to learn a lesson from the rebellion of the previous generation and to commit themselves faithfully to heeding God's voice. This is directly applicable to all of our lives at any given moment. So anytime there's a moment of, as we're reading through God's people, the history of Israel, that we see their rebellion, we should remember uh, that rebellion and commit ourselves to faithfully heed God's voice and to follow him faithfully. We're imperfect and we won't always do a great job, but it's moments that we're call uh, that call us back uh, to God's provision, God's voice. Psalm 96 is a psalm that celebrates God's kingship over all the creation, uh, which then should evoke worship and love for him. Uh, there's going to be three sections that each come with a command, sing, ascribe, and say, uh, and it will uh, call, it's the... It's the command to worship God. It's the command to come before the Lord um, and and do and reflect on who he is. Um, it should also keep the mission of God for his people to be a blessing for all the earth at the forefront. Um, so not only are we worshiping God and, and, and ascribing love and adoration to him, but it should also keep the mission to be a blessing to the, all the earth at the forefront of our, our minds and our hearts. Psalm 97 celebrates God's kingship over all creation again, uh, but this one focuses on God's universal rule and how it assures God's people of his final victory over evil and idolatry. So the coming hope that we have because of God's sovereignty is something to remember. Psalm 98 is going to celebrate God's kingship uh, by referring to the marvelous things and the salvation for Israel, which all the ends of the earth have seen. So nothing is hidden 
Uh, Israel has been established. The whole earth at this time knows and has seen that. Um, and the, the, the hope is the ideal situation is that all the people of the earth would join in the celebration of God's kingship. Uh, but let's be honest, we know that doesn't happen. Uh, but it will one day at the start of eternity when every knee will bow and every tongue confess yeah, that it, Jesus is Lord. Yeah, it will It's happen. coming. Um, so Psalm 99, it will happen, you're right. But in this context, it isn't really going to happen. True, so true. Psalm 99 is another psalm celebrating God's kingship over all his creation. Uh, but this time it's focusing on his holiness and the wonder that he has made a way f- uh, the wonder that he's caused as he's made a way for his people to come into his presence without danger. It's specific to the psalm. It's a specific psalm to God's people, uh, but can be universally applied to all peoples who serve the Lord, uh, both then and in this generation, in this culture today. A few more psalms that we'll read this week. Psalm 100 uh, is a celebratory psalm that brings a collection of uh, kingship psalms to a close. So as we've kind of read this succession over the last handful of psalms of celebrating God's kingship, this is kind of like the exclamation point of all those those psalms combined. Uh, And it's an exuberant call uh, to the Lord, uh, to come to the Lord in worship um, and for all the earth to join together. It says this in Psalm 100 verse one, it says, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Verse two says, serve the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Verse three says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Verse four says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. If you've grown up in church, you remember a song that has those lines. Uh, And then it says, give thanks to him and and bless his name. And then finally, verse five says, for the Lord is good. This is probably one of my favorite um, thoughts throughout all of the Psalms. It's something that I held to even as a college kid, that the Lord is good. His love endures forever. And it says that the Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Uh, And so I just thought that has always been like a milestone verse for me, a milestone thought for me, no matter what I go through, no matter what I've navigated. Um, And then we've got two more Psalms this week. One is 102. It's an individual lament, uh, but it's not necessarily this like singular I, if it's just about the individual reciting it. Um, But the individual is reciting this and lamenting uh, as he sees himself as part of God's people, the city of Zion, uh, and then they find that their own well-being is bound to the promised well-being of God's people. Uh, and for us, it should equip us to see God's ultimate purposes for the whole people of God and to look forward to the participation of this blessing of his provision and faithfulness. And then Psalm 104 uh, is, a, is a long psalm. It's 35 verses. Uh, I'm not going to read all 35 of them. And so this is where I kind of just extrapolate a few verses at the end. Uh, but it starts off with this, this phrase, bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, and so it's this idea that the, sh- the psalm is going to show us uh, the reasons why for, for speaking well and celebrating God. Uh, and it carries creation. Uh, this psalm specifically will carry a bunch of creation accounts uh, as a reason for understanding the magnitude of glory of God. And then it ends with these five verses. Uh, and starting in verse 31, it says, may the glory of the Lord. So in essence, the psalmist is making the case all throughout cre- creation, talking about the sovereignty of God, how creation yields to him who created it. Uh, and then it ends this way. It says, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they pour out smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to, to my God while I live. May, the me- may my meditation be pleasing to him. I will rejoice in the Lord. And then it says this, my sinners vanish from the earth and wicked persons be no more. My soul bless the Lord. Hallelujah. And then it ends. Uh, so I thought it was a fitting way, not just to end our, our podcast d- uh, breakdown of this week's reading, but also as a, a great reminder 
of reflecting on God's power, reflecting on God's provision, reflecting on God's sovereignty throughout all creation. Um, And then this line where it says, may sinners vanish from the earth and wicked people be no more. It's not a call for God to eradicate uh, people, but it's a call for God to remove the effects of evil and sin and people who have followed and become um, worshipers of evil and wickedness. Um, And we see, I mean, if we fast forward to Revelation, we're going to see the book really is about God pouring out his wrath on sin and and those who follow sinful ways. And it's not meant for God's people. And so there's this anticipation of God's victory over sin. Um, and it's not so it's not like a, a turn or burn kind of thing, but it's a a appeal to the Lord in his sovereignty and in his power that he will overcome and he will conquer victory or conquer evil and and, and wickedness. Um, and then the psalmist says, my soul bless the Lord. And this shout of hallelujah, this this declaration of praise and adoration to God is kind of where this is where the psalm ends, but where we get to end this week's reading uh, through the book of Psalms as well. Boom. All right. Well, that uh, does wrap it up for that section of the podcast, but we do want to talk about what we learned today. I gotta say, Aaron, it's weird not to go into a king's ranking segment. We've I've gotten so used to that these last few weeks, but now we're just going well, right let's into rank no king. We're going right into what if we rank the king, the king of kings? He's he's S tier, king of creation. <laughs> um, so yeah, this this is a super hard week <laughs> to come up with an application because it's basically just like all of them have their own individual application, uh, and so and that's kind of the joy of proverbs is you really can just it's almost one of those books where and I'm sure they make these I don't know for sure but where you can just order like those daily calendars where you just pull one off every day you could really do that with proverbs and every day just kind of meditate on another one of the truths um, but for me I think what stood out the most is Psalm 42 and I said it's one of my favorite psalms because again I think sometimes we have this. We have this picture of the Bible, like it's not, it doesn't realistically depict humans or what what it's like to be a human. Um, and so, and it, I think some of that comes from like Christian movies and, and, you know, not to bash on Christian films, but like a lot of them are kind of just really whitewashed. And it's like, you look at the people and it's like, that's not how people actually are. Um, or there's just, you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's kind of like that. I think sometimes we can think that's what the Bible is. Um, and Psalm 42 is a really great reminder of showing us, no, like, as humans, we have highs and we have lows and even showing that um, it's not crazy to be into the throes of a deep depression like the psalmist is in, in yeah. Psalm 42. Um, but I love that it doesn't just leave it there. It pairs it or the psalmist pairs the idea with we can hope in God. We can trust in our salvation with God. And, and as Christians, we have um, we have that hope unlike any unlike anyone yeah. else. Um and it's so true. I think it it's Psalm 42 is beautiful beautiful to me because it's it gives such an accurate depiction of the depths of man and at the same time an accurate depiction of the joy that we can take in the Lord. Yeah, that's really good, man. Um mine it's funny cuz like this is actually probably one of the easier weeks of trying to extrapolate a, uh, an application uh, because as I was reading, even and even reviewing, is putting my notes together and and getting ready to talk through uh, my portion of the of the week's reading, uh, I was just struck um, by the response of the psalmists and their awareness of God's kingship, His sovereignty, and power. Um, and and it wasn't just like the awareness that is like leading them to worship and celebrate and rejoice. Uh, but just the, I mean, even as you already highlighted Psalm 42, probably one of my favorite Psalms I read this week. Um, but it was really, um, the awareness of who God is and the awareness of 
like the intimate knowledge and understanding of God is something I like, I strive for and I want to continue to grow. And it evoked like this stupid question, not a stupid question, a very simple question, but like, are we stirred with that also? Are we stirred with God's sovereignty, his power, his grace, his justice? Um, and does it evoke a response of worship? Does it, or does it evoke a, a kind of a response of frustration or of angst or of, of envy or, um, annoyance where it's God, you're sovereign. Why aren't you? Uh, and so I think it, it, watching and reading the Psalms, it should draw us back to um, understanding who God is as the creator, as the sovereign eternal being that he is. Um, and I mean, it goes back to even the idea of like Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Um, and it should evoke out of us this, this reverence and this worship and this gratitude that God calls us his. Um, and so I, I kind of was struck by just the response uh, to the awareness of God, of the psalmist. And and what it should do even is the psalmist called out to God's people and saying, hey, this is how to respond in this. Run to the Lord, be, trust in him. Uh, our hope is in him. No matter the face of the circumstances we are navigating, he is faithful and he is good and he's worthy of our time. So um, it just left me with like, am I stirred? Uh, with that same affection and that same response that the psalmist evoke and sh- and call his people to. So, um, but yeah, I just thought that was a good a good reminder for me. All right. Well, listeners, that does wrap it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find our other resources on our website, grove.church. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. And hey, thank you all so much for listening. Have a great week.